Good morning. Thank you so much for coming out in the snow. Uh, we've definitely not been gypped since being in the U.S. with snow, since we don't get as much in the Middle East. So it's been fun for, for us and our kids. My name's Josh, and uh, my wife Hannah and I have been married for almost 10 years now. We have four children, as you saw in the video, Sophia, Titus, Malachi, and Aletheia. And we went to our region of the world in 2017. And it was the fall of 2019, shortly after finishing our formal language study in our region of the world. And I had started my first class teaching English at the English Center. And you can, sorry, you can go to the next slide. Thank you. The Life Center is our meaningful and impactful presence where we as Alliance workers teach English so we can live and work in our country because proselytizing so that locals will come to faith is, is illegal. So it was my very first class. I had 10 students, and I remember out of those 10 students, I remember feeling that three of them were open to the gospel. And I couldn't tell you why I felt that way, but I just, I just did. And it was a couple weeks into the class, and one night at 8.30 as I released my class uh, to go home, I remember one of my students, Z, stopped at my, at my desk, and we began to talk about uh, education in our region of the world, uh, which led to a conversation uh, like most conversations or a lot of conversations lead to, which is one of two topics, or yeah, which is either religion or politics. And, and I remember being there in my classroom with Z, and we were talking, and I remember not knowing what to say to him. And in that moment, I just prayed to the Lord, God, just give me the words to say to Z, because I just don't feel like I have anything to say to him right now that would, he would respond to. And I remember in that moment, the Holy Spirit gave me these words. I asked Z, a Muslim, if he knew that the mighty works of God were preached in his language in the Bible. And it was right when I said that, as if a light came on for him, as if a door had been kicked down that had been locked for so long. I could sense that the Holy Spirit was at work in that very moment. I could tell he was shocked by what I had just said. I proceeded to say that, yes, his people group were mentioned multiple times in the Bible throughout the Old and New Testament, as they were formerly known as the Medes. And I remember specifically his next words. He said, wow, why did they never teach us this in school? We never learned about this. Our people group, who are the fourth largest ethnicity in the Middle East, have experienced a lot of persecution by the hands of Muslim Turks, Arabs, and Persians throughout history, even though that they're Muslims themselves, as a persecuted group who are 99.9% Muslim, they wonder how other Muslims could kill and hate them so much. Z was wondering that how they as a people group could be mentioned in the Bible as well, and they not even know about it. The door is shut for so many people in our region of the world, as there's an extreme lack of access to the gospel. And there's only a handful of international workers and local believers who are a part of carrying the keys to open doors for the gospel in our area. A few months later, after multiple conversations, 
uh, and asking Jesus in his life, Z's life was transformed and transforming. This was a life he couldn't even imagine having a few months prior. As he said, he felt true peace for the first time in his life. And it was hard for him to keep it all in because how can you contain the joy of knowing for the very first time that God truly loves you and even died for your sins? Z grew up in a Muslim family, in an Islamic culture in our area, being taught his whole life that serving and appeasing Allah was the only way to heaven. But now he knew deep in his heart that the truth that had been hidden from him his whole life was now revealed. But what would his family think? None of his family members knew of his newfound faith in Jesus Christ. Next slide, please. Z grew up like all Muslims do, learning about the five pillars of Islam, which are the shahada, which is the declaration of faith, prayer, giving tithes, fasting, and going on the pilgrimage to Mecca, which is called the Hajj. And as a Muslim, you must do all these things, and maybe, just maybe, you will earn your way to heaven. But with his newfound trust and hope in Jesus Christ, he no longer had to pray five times a day for fear of potentially staying out of hell or fast every day for one month during Ramadan to appease God. He no longer had to feel like a failure trying to keep a list of do's and don'ts because the true God was not an impersonable God, but the true God was a personal God who wanted to have a relationship with him. And he did have a relationship with Esau, with Jesus. And he knew that Jesus loved him and died for his sins. You see, one of the miracles in Z's life is that statistically, as a Muslim in our region, you would have to knock on 10,000 doors before someone would open that door and be able to share the gospel with you. But unlike you and I, where we still live in a country where freedom of religion is expected, Z knew he had to be very careful in his context because as a Muslim, he had just committed the unforgivable sin of shirk, which is saying that Jesus is divine when Muslims only believe that Allah, that God is divine. And for a Muslim, committing shirk means that Z was now not only destined for hell, but he was also a reprobate, a traitor. Metaphorically speaking, he had just slapped his family in the face, and they didn't even know it yet. In their eyes, he not only denied the one true God, Allah, but in their eyes, he had betrayed his family, his friends, his community, and his country. And if they discovered his secret, he would bring great shame on his entire family and community. But what else could he do? Because his understanding of who Jesus was had completely changed from simply a prophet to the Son of God. And now he believed that Jesus was the Savior of the world, and he could not deny his Lord by living in fear and silence anymore. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 16. I'll be reading from verses 13 through 19. I also have it up here on the PowerPoint as well. Matthew 16, 13 through 19. And as you're flipping to that, I'm going to pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Father, thank you that we are able to come and gather here, Lord, and worship you and sing songs in English and Arabic. And Lord, just celebrate what you're doing around the world, Father. We thank you, Jesus, that we have a relationship with you, Lord. 
And I just want to lift up people around the world, Lord, who do not know you yet, who do not have a relationship with you yet, Father, that you would continue to reveal yourself, Lord, to all people groups around the world, Father. And I thank you for, for this church and their passion for missions. And I thank you for your word, Lord, as it does not return to you void, but it accomplishes everything that you set it out to accomplish. So, Father, I pray that as we read your word, your spirit would work in this room and would challenge us and convict us and encourage us in the ways that we need to be challenged, encouraged, and convicted. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Next slide, please. Now let me set the backdrop here according to the Expositor's Bible Commentary, where Jesus and his disciples were when Jesus asked them this crucial question. And I would argue not just a crucial question, but the most important question ever asked on planet Earth in all of human history. Who do you say Jesus is? Jesus and his disciples had arrived in Caesarea Philippi, which was a Greco-Roman city in the northern part of Israel by Mount Hermon and the Jordan River. It lies 25 miles north of Galilee, and the snow-capped Mount Hermon can be seen on a clear day as far away as Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. The people living there were primarily Gentiles, and if you were to go there today, you would be able to tell immediately that you were in a very unique place. As you can see from the picture, there is a 500-foot-wide rock face that rises 100 feet above you, and in the center of that rock face, there is an immense cave with temple ruins strewn about. It was here that Herod the Great built the Temple of Augustus in 19 BC to honor his Caesar. The temple sat at the cave's opening, believed to be the gateway to the underworld, where the Greek god Pan lived, who was the god of the wild, shepherds, flocks, and hunters. And it is here where Jesus deliberately stands, the backdrop being the gateway to the great polytheistic religions and cultures of the world, to ask his disciples the nature of his identity. Who do you say that I am? Peter responded, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And like Peter to this question, who do you say that I am? We too believe and say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The only name under heaven by which humanity can be saved. According to Matthew chapter 16, Jesus looked at Peter and said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not overcome it. And you hold the keys to the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, 2,000 years have passed since Jesus have spo- has spoke those words to Peter and his disciples, but we believe that Jesus is still building his church, that the, gate, that the gates of hell have not overcome it, and we have been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We hold the keys. We hold the keys to open the door to eternal life through Jesus Christ. But what did Jesus mean by telling Peter when he told Peter that he would be given the keys of the kingdom of heaven? And whatever he bound on earth would be bound in heaven, and whatever he loosed on earth would be loosed in heaven. Well, the world-renowned theologian D.A. Carson from Trinity Seminary says that when Jesus spoke these words to Peter and his disciples, Jesus was actually speaking of the proclamation of the gospel, that when the good news of Jesus is told, a door is open, and those who believe will enter in. But those who do not believe, the door is closed. Michael Wilkins says in his Matthew commentary that in this way, Peter stands in contrast to the Pharisees and to the scribes of his day who shut off entrance to the kingdom. Peter's mission is to give people access to the kingdom. And this mission involves especially his preaching of the gospel. Peter, the representative disciple in this situation who gives the first personal declaration of the Messiah's identity is the one in the book of Acts who opens the door of the kingdom to the Jews in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, to the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, and finally to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. Do you remember when the door was first opened for you? Did a pastor help open it? Maybe a spouse? Maybe it was your mom or your dad, or maybe it was a a good friend. Our area of the world is considered an unreached area of the world as over 99.9% of the local people are Muslims. And only a few believers are there to help open the door. To add insult to injury, Satan has put so many locks on the door as well to keep it from being opened for the people group we serve One big deadbolt on the door are the teachings of Islam that blind them from seeing the light of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 4 says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers from seeing the light of the gospel of Christ. Next slide, please. An example of this is from the Quran in chapter 4, verse 171. And it says, O people of the book, that means Christians, Commit no excesses in your religion. Do not say of Allah anything but the truth. Jesus Christ, the son of Mary, was no more than a messenger of God and his word, which he bestowed on Mary and a spirit proceeding from him. So believe in Allah and his messengers. Do not say Trinity, resist it. It will be better for you. For Allah is one God. Glory be to him. Far exalted is he above having a son. To him belong all things in heaven and on earth. So Muslims today, which is about 2 billion people out of 7.8 billion people on planet earth, say that Jesus was only a prophet who sought to get people to worship the true God, Allah, again. In Islam, it's a mortal sin to attribute deity to anything else other than Allah. And if you're a Muslim and you attribute deity to Christ, 
it will get you into very serious trouble and even killed. In fact, when every Muslim baby is born and every Muslim old, older person is on their deathbed passing on, the shahada is whispered into their ears. And the shahada is the first thing you hear as you're coming into this world and the last thing you hear as you're exiting it. And the shahada says, there is no God but God and Muhammad is his messenger. Muslims desperately need to hear the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. From the very moments of birth to the very last moments of life, they're inundated with the lies of Satan and taught that the only way to God was through good works. And they're even lied to as well on top of all that about Christianity and what we believe. For example, they're taught that Christians believe that a lot like Greek mythology with Zeus, that God came down and had relations with Mary. And that's how Jesus came into this world. Satan does everything he can to keep these people, people who God loves and died for, believing in lies and living in darkness. And even if you question what you believe as a Muslim, you're in danger of being kicked out of your com community and family with no support system whatsoever. So thank you for being a part of sending us to the Middle East, to our people group, so we can share the good news of Jesus with them in their language. Next slide, please. And if you're wondering, what are some ways that I can personally be a part of opening up doors in this area of the world? Here's some vital ways. The first one, please pray for us. Please pray verses like Ephesians 6.19, where Paul says, And pray on my behalf that an utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Please pray that God continues to reveal himself to Muslims through dreams and other ways. Second, give. Thank you so much for your financial support. Hearing things like what Pastor Sean said about raising you're giving to the GCF by 88%, so encouraging. The Great Commission Fund supports around 750 international workers around the world. And we're so thankful for the support we receive from you all because we're able then to go over and focus on language and building the church uh, wherever we are around the world. So we're very thankful for that. Third and la last, but definitely not least, visit. If you're interested in going on a short-term uh, missions trip or a midterm missions trip, midterm meaning it could be up to t around two years. Uh, we would love uh, to have you in our region of the world because we know that God has gifted you with many talents, passions, interests, and we can marry that with ministry because we know that the more people, more followers of Jesus in our area means more people who carry the keys of the kingdom, who will be ready to open up doors for the gospel. Next slide. Let me go back to one more lock in our area that keeps people from walking through that door. And I've alluded to it already. Another lock is lack of gospel access for our people group. Let me reiterate that if you are a Muslim and you were looking for the truth, which would be amazing in and of itself, you would, have to, you would not just have to ask one person or 20 people or even a thousand people if they knew the truth, which would take months, but you would have to ask 10 thousand people for the truth before they would be able to share the gospel with you. Let's look at that in a different light. 
let's say your full-time job of 40 hours every week was to, in every hour, get into one conversation that led to the topic of religion, where then the other person was able to share the gospel with you, it would take you five years of full-time work until you heard the truth in your language. And of course, I'll give you Christmas and holidays off in that, but it would take you five years Satan has so limited the access to the spread of the gospel in this region by installing other locks as well for, these, for this people group. Other examples are the fear of Islam and possible death at the hands of Muslims in their communities for converting. Regional wars and conflicts, church persecution. I remember when we arrived in 2017 and the Bible had just been completed and was being printed, the Old and New Testament in the local language. And I remember asking a veteran gospel worker, when did they start this, this project? Because I know groups like Wycliffe say it takes around 20 years to complete the Bible in another language. And he looked at me and said, around the American Civil War. And I said, wow, why did it take so long? And he said, because international workers had to keep fleeing and coming back, rebuilding the infrastructure to keep translation going. And that just took so, so long. And, but praise the Lord, it's, it's been completed and now they've had it for four or five years. But even beyond these barriers too, we see other locks and barriers for our people group with believers who deal with extreme mistrust among each other, which stems from deep-rooted tribalism within our people group. This is another lock that keeps the church from experiencing vibrant growth. And this makes church planting in an Islamic context very difficult. But only through the power of prayer and the power of God can we, his ambassadors, open doors when so many locks have been installed by Satan to keep people from coming into a right relationship with him. Let me end by circling back to Z's story. After I initially shared the gospel with Z and the door was opened, that was just the beginning of his new life in Christ. We would meet a lot of times together as we would go through the Bible, and I saw the Holy Spirit really working in his life in pretty amazing ways, and I was so encouraged by the things he would tell me. Just listening to Z and how he would describe these newfound feelings of freedom in Jesus was amazing, and he was even thinking differently as well, not struggling anymore with thoughts of suicide. He was actually, even though he's a really young guy, he's 25 years old, he's a veteran, and he shared with me a story of uh, his people group are the people, really the boots on the ground that fought ISIS. And he told me that one day as he was in the heat of battle, his best friend was with him that day fighting and he was hit in the chest and went down and, and Z held him in his arms as he died in his arms. And he would go on to struggle with PTSD and thoughts of suicide with, with no hope whatsoever. But when he became a believer, he said in those moments, those really dark moments, he would just pray and he would feel a warmth come over his body and he would be encouraged by the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. 
Z was experiencing this abundant life right before my very eyes. But like all of us, there was still residue in his life uh, from his previous life that he needed to get rid of with the power of the Holy Spirit. Z, because of the negative effects of tribalism, kept him from meeting consistently, consistently with the local church and other believers. And like so many people, Z realized what Christ saved him from, but he was still learning what Jesus was, sa was saving him too. In the last couple of years, I've consistently been encouraging him, he might say hounding and nagging him, to press into his local faith community. And that trust wasn't just a feeling, but it was a conscious de decision. And meeting as a church is extremely important in the command in the New Testament. Two and a half years after the door was opened for Z to the kingdom and me hounding him about the importance of community, I heard back from a teammate that Z finally was pressing into his local community and attending church. That is another victory for Jesus, another lock dismantled, and we're all part of Z's story in some way because we are all part of carrying the keys to a lost and dying world. Next slide, please. So the good news is this. God is unlocking one lock after another so that the door of the kingdom can be opened for our people group and for all people groups around the world. It is a God-sized task for people of faith and prayer to carry the keys of the kingdom of heaven. But that is what God has called us to do. Like Jesus called out to Peter, he calls out to us and says, and I tell you, you are John, you are Sarah, you are Bethany, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." Jesus promises with absolute authority, I will build my church, not any one of us in here. So stand on this, that the gates of hell will not prevail and the door to the kingdom of heaven will be opened by God and his kingdom people, the carriers of the keys to the world. Thank you.